Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says, So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the capstone, which is the finishing stone, with shouts of grace, grace to it. Who are you, O great mountain? God is asking. Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. Zerubbabel was the governor of God's people at that time. He was responsible for just leading this entire group of people in the reconstruction or the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. It was such a big mammoth task for him and for all the people who were very discouraged, wanting to give up. In fact, they did give up for about 13 years. And then God raises up Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets. They come and say, hey, come on, let's complete the work you've started. So in that context, the word of the Lord is coming here to Zerubbabel. He's the governor. And God is saying, you know, what is this great mountain that's before you? Who is this? Who are you a great mountain? You are going to become a plain. You're going to become, you're going to, I'm going to level you. I'm going to bring you down. And he's going to shout. He's going to bring, complete it. And his anthem is going to be grace, grace. So I want to encourage you and me this morning is to proclaim grace. To your mountain. What's your mountain? You proclaim grace, grace to it. Declare the works of grace. Declare the God of grace. Declare the working of God's grace in your life to your mountain. Because there is no mountain that can stand in your way. And God says it's by His Spirit that you will complete the work He's caused you to start. You've laid the foundation. You will also lay the capstone, the finishing stone, the final stone. You and I keep shouting grace, grace to our mountains, knowing that our God will take us through. Amen? But it's interesting. Shout grace to your mountain. Our words are important. What we proclaim, what our proclamation, our words are important. That by shouting grace, grace, your mountain is going to be leveled. You're proclaiming what God can do in you and through you just by His grace. Amen? So continue speaking to your mountains. Who are double great mountain? Proclaim the grace of God. Because every mountain in your way will become leveled by God's grace. Let's stand up to our feet this morning as we make our declaration. As we just declare with our mouths and believing in our hearts what God is doing, has done, and will do in our lives. I want you to hold your Bible high up in the air. Say this out loud with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I am saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I am a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I believe His word. I receive His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am. In absolute surrender, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Two Sundays ago, we started talking on the seven mountains assignment. And uh, we're going to continue climbing up those mountains. And honestly, preaching this morning in the north, it seemed like I was actually climbing up a mountain. So it might be a little tough ground this morning, but I just want you to stay with me. We started talking about the seven mountains assignment. And uh, I want to quickly review what we spoke about, and then move into one particular mountain that we want to address this morning. 
We talk about the seven mountains or seven areas or seven spheres or seven mind molders of society. Where God highlighted this to three major leaders in the, in the Christian church. And he challenged them by saying, take a message to the body saying that if you will address these seven mountains and begin to influence the culture on these seven mountains, you can disciple any nation. So we spoke about the challenge, the process, the preparation and the positioning that is involved in affecting these seven spheres. And I just want to quickly review. What is the challenge? The challenge that Jesus left us with is to go and disciple all nations. He said, go disciple nations, preach the gospel to every creature. That's individuals. And disciple whole nations. That's a challenge. The process is what we are addressing here. And we said that if we can transform the culture in the nation, we can prepare the hearts of the people to receive the gospel. So this whole message on the seven mountains is all about how can we affect the culture on each of these seven spheres of influence in such a way that the hearts of people will be ready to hear the gospel and then be discipled. So we gave some thoughts out. We talked about modeling biblical principles. Uh, letting our light shine by our good works and what we can do. And engaging in spiritual transformation. But we also said there's a preparation involved. It, the church isn't, doesn't seem to be ready yet to go out and do this. In most churches we focus a lot on things that are kind of inward looking. On, on inspiring people and so on and so forth. And uh, we really haven't talked about church, the church going out into the seven mountains and the seven spheres of society and making a difference. And so the church has to be ready, which means every individual has to become ready. We talked a little bit about this. We said there has to be an internal preparation. We need to guard our desires, our motivations, our character. There's a spiritual preparation where we need to learn, assimilate the biblical principles that can be applied out in the marketplace There has to be training in the spiritual things and spiritual resources, in the prophetic, in the gift of the Spirit, so that we can take these things into the marketplace and make a difference. And not just play with them inside church. We need them inside the house of God, but more importantly, we need these gifts to affect the world. We talked about the natural preparation. Each one of us need to be trained, skilled, have the required capabilities. We also need excellence in what we do so that we can affect change in these seven mountains. And then we also talk about the positioning, that God will position each one of us in different ways on these seven mountains. Some of us may be at the top, in leadership positions, we will be transformers like Joseph's and Daniel's. Or some of us may be influencers, that we could influence the decision makers. We may have be accessors, people who have access to resources, opportunities and so on. We may be cross-pollinators, we may be on one mountain influencing several other mountains. God may use you as a trendsetter to Create something to birth a movement that will then affect a certain sphere of influence. Or God may use you as a catalyst. You may be behind the scenes, but you are a key to the equation, to the, the reaction that's taking place on the mountain. People may not recognize you, but as a catalyst, you're key to what is happening. So we covered some of these things in our last, in our very first session. Are you all still awake with me? Yes, amen. I know it's like climbing a mountain, so get on your hiking boots and... Stay with me, amen? And I was driving from north to here, and I was thinking, man, teaching all these things is not easy, you know. It's much easier to preach a little inspirational message, make everybody feel happy and send them home. But then I said, we have to do this. Somebody has to do this. Somebody has to equip the church so we can make a difference, amen? 
So although it's hard ground, it's like plowing through tough ground, it, it has to be done. We will, make, we will make it happen. This morning, I want us to just go, take, uh, take it a little forward and then address one particular mountain. I want to begin, first of all, by talking about the significance of the number seven. Right? Uh, we're not getting into numerology here. We'll start with one, two, three, four, five. You know, the number seven simply in the Bible represents perfection or completion. Seven days in a week, they complete the week. So number seven stands for perfection, completion. And, and you find the number seven used over and over again throughout Scripture. Here are just some examples of, of where seven ha- uh, you find the number seven being used. For, for instance, you know, when God's people are coming into the promised land, God said, there are seven enemies you have to fight. Seven nations, greater and stronger than you are, that you have to conquer if you want to take over the promised land. Seven enemies on purpose i believe it was there for seven that's saying you have if you conquer them you have perfect complete dominion over your land of promise Uh, about the holy spirit there are seven facets to the spirit that completely relate or define or express who he is isaiah 11 2 talks about that he says there is the spirit of wisdom understanding counsel might knowledge fear of the lord and the spirit of the lord Seven facets of the Holy Spirit that perfectly, completely describe to us who He is. About Jesus, in Revelation 5, 6, it talks about the Lamb and the throne of God. And it says, He has seven horns, seven eyes, and seven spirits. Seven horns. Horns always represent dominion, authority, or strength. Seven horns. Perfect authority. Perfect dominion. Meaning omnipotence. Jesus, seven eyes. Eyes represent knowledge, what you know. Seven eyes, perfect knowledge, omniscience. Seven spirits, pneuma, presence. Wherever you go, he has perfect, complete presence, omnipresence. So Jesus, the Lamb of God, seven horns, seven eyes, seven spirits, omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. Amen? So that completely describes who Christ is and all that he is. There's a sevenfold honor ascribed to Jesus. Revelation 5.12. It tells us, you know, that Jesus to him is given power and riches and wisdom. Strength and honor and glory and blessing. Sevenfold worship given to him. Meaning he is worthy of perfect and complete worship. Seven. So when we talk about seven mountains, what I want us to understand is that while there are many sub-spheres sub-areas of our categories that we can come up with, these seven broad mountains or seven spheres we're talking about in broad terms are to us complete the mountains or spheres that we must influence so that we can affect culture in totality. If we affect these seven mountains, we can affect culture perfectly or in completely or in totality. Are you all with me? Seven, perfection, completion. The second thing I want to address here is the typology of the mountain. Mountain is significant in the Bible. In fact, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2, I believe that Isaiah prophesied about the things that we're seeing and talking about in our day. In Isaiah chapter 2 and also Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. In Isaiah chapter 2, here's what Isaiah prophesied. Now, Isaiah lived about 700 years before the birth of Christ. And here's what he prophesied. Isaiah 2 verses 1, 2, 3. 
The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days. So what's he talking about? Let me hear you. The latter days. Say this is going to happen in the latter days. In the last days. What's going to happen? The mountain of the Lord's house will be established on the top of the mountains. Meaning the mountain of the Lord's house will be established on other mountains. And will be exalted above the hills. And all nations will flow to it. Micah brought the same prophecy. In Micah chapter 4, he says, It will come to pass, Micah chapter 4 verse 1 and 2, It will come to pass in the latter days. Again, he's talking about the latter days. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and peoples will flow to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and so on. Now, now when we read these passages, we need to understand what timeline is it going to be fulfilled. On initial reading, our immediate thought is, okay, it will be fulfilled when the Lord Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom here on earth. And that is true. This will be literally fulfilled when Jesus comes, sets up His kingdom and His rule out of Jerusalem. But what I also want us to understand is that many times in the Old Testament, there are prophecies that begin like this. It will come to pass in the latter days. Just like what we read in Isaiah 2.2 and Micah 4.2. It will come to pass in the last days. And it is interesting that their fulfillment actually began in the book of Acts. Example, Joel prophesied in Joel chapter 2 verse 28. It will come to pass. So Joel is standing here in the Old Testament and he's prophesying. He's saying, it will come to pass in the last days, says God. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He's talking about the last days. He's saying God is going to do something in the last days. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter standing up in Acts chapter 2 verse 17 and 18 says, Joel said... In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. And Peter says, this is that. So what Joel said as the last days actually began in Acts chapter 2. Amos prophesied. Amos chapter 9 verse 11 and 12. He said, in the last days, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. James stands up in Acts chapter 15 verses 16 and 17. He says, Amos said, in the last days... God will rebuild the tabernacle of David. This is that. Then, Acts chapter 15, verses 16 and 17. So, what I want us to understand is that when the prophets said, in the last days, eschatologically, we think it's going to happen, you know, somewhere out in the future when Jesus comes. But what we see in the book of Acts is they are saying, it's happening in our day, in our time. It's starting now, the beginning of that last day's prophecy fulfillment is happening now, Acts 2. Happening now, Acts 15. Amen? So when Isaiah says in Acts 2, 2, when Micah says in Micah 4, 1 and 2, in the latter days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established on top of the mountains and on the hills, and all nations will come to it. I want to submit to you, 
But you and I aren't that generation. Beginning to see that fulfillment. Why? Because God spoke to his men and said, it's time for the church to come on top of the mountain. Yes, there's a little fulfillment coming, but we are the beginning of the fulfillment of Isaiah 2, 2 and Micah 4. Amen? So what is this mountain? The mountain of the Lord's house. The word mountain has a four understanding. A four, it represents at least four different things in the Bible. Isaiah 2, 2, Micah 2, 4. The mountain of the Lord's house. It is the Lord's house. The people of God. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, and in verse 22, it says, You have come to Mount Zion. And he continues, The assembly of God's people, the church of the living God. So what is Mount Zion? It's the assembly of God's people. It is the church of the living God. So the first typology of the mountain is the people of God. The assembly of God's people is God's people. Are you with me? So when it says it's the mountain of the Lord's house, it's not talking about some physical mountain or geographical mountain. It's talking about God's people. When it says the mountain of the Lord's house will be established over other mountains and hills, it's simply saying God's people are going to be established on other mountains and hills. Are you all with me so far? Mountain and hills are also used for three other things in the Bible. Mountains and hills are used very often in the Old Testament. We read, you read the word high places. It represents places of worship. Most often places of worship to gods and goddesses like Baal and others. So that's one type of, one representation of mountain. High places of worship. Places of worship. Second, mountains and hills in the Bible is also used uh, to represent places of power and influence. The high places. Places of power and influence. Places that has dominion over other things. And there are scriptures on that as well. Like Psalm 18 verse 33 and Amos 4.13 and Micah 1.3. And mountains and hills are also used as a, to talk about places of blessing and prosperity. When God's people say, you know, God will Allah enable me to eat the, the blessings of the hills. It means it's a place of blessing and prosperity. So the Bible is saying in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established on top of the other mountains. Meaning God's people are going to begin to come in to a place of influence over other hills and mountains. Over places of worship, over place of power and influence, over place of blessing and prosperity. God is going to bring them into these places. What's going to be the consequence? Isaiah 2.2 and Micah 4.1 says, And the nations will say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the house of the Lord. This, this happening will result in the discipling of nations. It's a fulfilling of the great commission. Where he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Amen? Are you all with me so far? So we are rit- literally in the process of the fulfillment of what Isaiah and Micah prophesied. Yes, there is a coming a time when Jesus himself will set up his uh, rule and reign out of Jerusalem. But we are working towards it. Yes, there's a time when the tabernacle of David will literally be filled up. But Acts 15, 16 and 17, James said, it's happening now. In a spiritual context, the tabernacle of David is being built. Amen? So understand that you and I are living in a time of prophetic fulfillment. We are actually fulfilling prophecy. I mean, I wonder how it would have felt if we were the Acts 2 church. 
And Peter is saying, hey, we are fulfilling Joel's prophecy. What? You know, we are, you know, I wonder how the reaction of people would, would have been. Everything seems like, you know, just another day. But we are actually fulfilling prophecy. Amen? So we don't feel, you know, some heavy electric bolts running through us all the time. But hey, listen, you and I are a generation that's actually fulfilling Isaiah 2, 2 and Micah 4, 1 and 2. When God is raising up his people to be established and have influence over other mountains and hills. So that nations can flow and say, teach us about your God. Amen? All right. I will keep climbing. This morning, I want to just address the mountain of business. I want to talk to just share some thoughts here about the mountain of business. How can we affect the mountain of business? How can God's people fulfill Isaiah 2, 2, Micah 4, 1 and 2 to see influence coming on top of the mountains and hills of business so that nations can flow in and say, teach us about your God. Now, when we talk about the mountain of business, we are talking about this. It's a very broad spectrum mountain of business. We're talking about everything that has to do with the economy, that has to do with commerce. So right from scientific research, product design and innovation, to product manufacturing, uh, to sales and marketing, and to support and service, this entire spectrum that has to deal with economy, with commerce, is referred to by this mountain of business. So it's a, it's a very broad category. There are many subcategories, subspheres. So you might say, you know, I am doing, you know, I do tailoring. Am I in the, which mountain I am? You're under the mountain of business because you are giving some sort of service or you're building or you're, you know, you're stitching some sort of a product, right? So whatever, you know, many of us will probably identify with this mountain uh, because it covers an entire spectrum, anything that has to do with business, economy, commerce, service that you provide to people that results in monetary transactions will come under this mountain. What we must understand is that business or the marketplace or trade is something that God has redeemed for himself. So why do you say that? Because it was instituted by God. Work was instituted by God in the Garden of Eden. Before the fall. Because it was instituted by God. It's something God has redeemed. Unto back to himself. To the cross of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.20 says that. Through him. He would reconcile all things. Whether they are things on earth. Or things in heaven. He would reconcile everything back to himself. Everything that was distorted in the fall. Is reconciled or redeemed. Back to God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything God instituted. That includes work, it includes marriage, it includes everything that God instituted before the fall, is redeemed back to himself in the cross. So what we must understand is business, economy, work, is something God has reconciled to himself through the cross of Jesus Christ. What you and I are doing is reclaiming it. Just as every soul has already been paid for, the price for redemption of every soul has already been paid for, what you and I are doing is reclaiming the souls for Jesus Christ. The same thing with the area of business, economy, or commerce. Ed Silva also made this statement. He said, if you can change the marketplace, you can change the world. So you and I are, are doing something very important as we consider how we can affect the world of business, the mountain of business. Let's just begin by talking about some promises or some things that are relevant to the mountain of business. There are several promises in the Bible. I just want to hit upon a few things so that when you go into business... You know that God has promised to back you up. First of all, He's promised to bless you and me. On the mountain of business, there are blessings. 
God said in Deuteronomy, and I'm just quoting some scriptures here. Deuteronomy 8.18, God said, I am the Lord your God who gives you the power to get wealth. I am the God who gives you the power to get wealth. So when you're in business and you're, whatever you're doing, and it's, you're, you're getting money, God said, I will enable you, will empower you to do that. Psalm 1.3, He said, I will bless you in whatever you do. I'll make you prosper. Amen. In Psalm 128, verse 2 and 3, he said, You will enjoy the fruit of your labor. Whatever your labor is, he said, I'll make sure you enjoy the fruit of it. So there are blessings. God is backing you up with his blessings as you step out on the mountain of business. And there is wisdom and skill that God promises to give to his people. Wisdom and skill in your domain, whatever it might be, in business, God has promised to give you. Amen. As believers, as people who believe in God, we can tap into it in wisdom and skill. In Isaiah 48 and verse 17, God says, I am the Lord your God, and I will teach you how to profit. I will give you the ability, I will give you the skill, I will teach you what you need to profit. And wisdom comes from God. He is the source of wisdom. He is wisdom. And Proverbs 8 chapter tells us that, Proverbs 8 21 tells us that wisdom is needed to increase in wealth and riches. So this wisdom that God gives you empowers you to be successful on the mountain of business. Creativity flows from God. And really, creativity is what drives all business. I mean, if somebody never thought of the iPod, there would be no business in that area. Now they've come out of the iPad, more business. I mean, think about, you know, they created the iPod and there are like about, a, I don't know what count of it, over 180,000 apps that run on it was designed for the iPod. And now the iPad has come out. And even before it's come out, people are thinking, how can we build applications with the iPad? You know, it all begins with creativity. Somebody has a creative idea. Somebody comes up with the idea of how to make ice cream. And then you have all kinds of ice creams and all kinds of businesses around ice cream. But it started with a creative idea. Amen? And God is the source of creativity because He is the original creator. Amen? And you are connected to the creator. You have been made in the likeness and image of the creative God. There is creativity inside each one of us. It just may be very suppressed. Education taught you how not to create. You know, okay. But we get so educated, we lose all sense of creativity. We get so left-brained and all the right brain becomes so numb. Our imagination becomes a slave to our logic. We lose creativity. But let your right brain awaken. Let creativity come. Because God is your creator. He's a creative God. You know, Daniel 2.22 says that God reveals deep and secret things. Maybe there's a dish that nobody knows about. And God will reveal the deep and secret recipe for it. But that's what He does. He reveals deep and secret things. He says, I know what's in darkness. Meaning, things that's still hidden. I know what's out there. What you can't see, I can see. My, for light dwells with Him. I don't know whatever domain or area of uh, interest you have. But God's got some lot of creative stuff. Which... People haven't seen yet. And he says, I reveal deep and secret things. And all business is driven by creativity. Somebody has to come up with that creative idea. And 
it happen. Right? So creativity comes from God. It's birth, and God promises to back us up with creativity. And favor that brings wealth transfer comes from God. You know, there is supernatural favor that causes wealth to leave somebody's hands and come into your hands. So how does that happen? I don't know, but it happens. Think about the Egyptians, the Israelites in Egypt. I mean, they were in bonded labor for almost 400 years. And all of a sudden, one day, God's favor comes on them. And for some unknown reason, the Egyptian lords come give their gold and silver into the hands of the Israelites. I mean, I think both of them must be shocked at what's happening. But it happened in a day. The Egyptian lords must be wondering, you know, we normally give them whips and sticks and stones. But today we just feel so inclined to give them our gold and our rubies and our gems and just put it in their hands. And the Israelites for 400 years are in bonded labor. Today they're shocked. They said we're only used to receiving garlics and leeks. But today we are receiving Gold and gems and precious stones coming into our hands. I don't know what God's up to. God was causing divine favor to bring about a transfer of wealth. Why? There was an assignment to build a tabernacle. Amen? The wealth transfer was not for their own benefit. They go in the tabernacle. They needed all that gold. They needed all that stuff to build the tabernacle. But there was divine favor that brought about the transfer of wealth. And God promises, Proverbs 13, 22, He said... The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. In Isaiah 60 verse 5 he says, The nations will come to his people when they see the glory of God. And the wealth of the nations will be transferred into the hands of God's people. That's divine transfer because of favor. Amen. So there is God backing you and me up on the mountain of business. Are you ready to go on the mountain of business? At least now will you climb? Okay. Right. So God's backing us up on the mountain of business. Now, what are some challenges you and I would, would face on the mountain of business? Two major challenges you and I would face. Now, there's a lot of other things we could talk about, but two big ones. One is greed. Greed is a big thing on the mountain of business. Because when people uh, begin to see money, they begin to say, I want it for me, and I want more of it for me. That's greed. Without any thought of how can I bless somebody else. For selfish interest. That is a big challenge. And unfortunately, sometimes well-meaning, Bible-believing Christians, as they begin to walk up the mountain and as God begins to bless them and prosper them on the mountain of business, they become a prey to this, ch- to this thing called greed. And then their whole purpose is lost. Then another major challenge that you and I will face on the mountain of business is the worship of mammon. Where we begin to give our adoration, our full attention, our admiration to money instead of to God who is the source of all of it. That's a major challenge. Jesus said it like this. He said you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to love one, hate the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot worship the living God, and also worship money. It's a challenge that you and I face. There are other challenges on the mountain of business, things like abuse of power, leading to exploitation and violence and corruption and so on. But these two things are major, greed and the worship of money. Money will want your attention, all your attention. And if you're not careful, if we are not careful, we might end up worshiping the God of mammon. Now, we must also understand that on this mountain of business, there are demonic powers that you and I will confront. Now, this might be surprising because you think, hey, 
business is all about just you know working hard and doing a good job and you'll make money. That is true. But you also must understand that there, uh, Satan has a vested interest on the mountain of business. Right before Satan fell, his name was Lucifer. In Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we have his description. He was an archangel. God created him, designed him, perfect in beauty and, and all wisdom, and uh, gave him so many wonderful qualities. And it's interesting to see in Ezekiel 28 that in the nation of Iraq, not too far from Baghdad, the U.S. military had their base there when they went in. But essentially it's in ruins. That's the literal Babylon. But Revelation 17 and 18 talks about a mystery Babylon. Meaning this is a system. It's not the city. It's a system. Revelation 18 describes what the system is about. It tells us this system is essentially all about commerce, economy and trading. It describes this mystery Babylon as a system that trades wealth and gold and all precious stones and all kinds of commodities. And unfortunately, in that list of commodities in Revelation 18, it also includes and tells us they also sell the souls and the bodies of men. Like they sell gold and clothes and silver and diamonds in the system of Babylon, this Babylonian system. Revelation 18.2 also tells us Sorry, let me just back up to chapter 17. It tells us that this Babylonian system spreads its influence on, you'll be surprised, seven mountains. This Babylonian system. And it sits upon the waters. Waters represents many things in the Bible. In this particular context, Revelation 17 explains to us that the waters represents peoples, tribes, and nations. So this Babylonian system exerts its influence on the seven mountains and over all nations. You with me so far? It represents economy, commerce, selling and buying of all kinds of things. Interestingly, Revelation 18.2 says that this Babylonian system is filled with demonic powers. It's the dwelling place of demons. So this system that engages in the buying and the selling and the trading of all kinds of things, including the souls and the bodies of people, that exerts its influence on seven mountains and on all the waters of the nations and peoples. It says it's the dwelling place of demons. The Bible describes later in Revelation 18 that in one day, in one hour, this system will collapse. And the traders, the merchants of the nations will grieve when it falls. Amen? So what we are saying, there's a system. Having to do with commerce and economy. Buying and selling of all kinds of things. But it is inhabited by demonic powers. So when you and I are engaging the mountain of business, this is what we're coming up against. It's not to scare you, not to tell you to leave, quit your job tomorrow and come inside the church. You know. What I'm saying is, when we are up on the mountain of business, we are facing, we are confronting demonic powers. We will confront powers, all kinds of things. I want to just share something very interesting in the book of Zechariah chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. In Zechariah 1, 18-21, God is revealing something to Zechariah. And He shows Zechariah that there are four horns, four authorities, four powers that are harassing God's people. And to overthrow these four horns, Zechariah sees four craftsmen. Who? Craftsmen. Maybe software developers. Maybe one was a software developer. One was an architect. This I'm just making it up. Another one was a, I don't know, you know... Analyst, and there was a four, four craftsmen, meaning these are skilled workers. And God raises up four craftsmen to go 
and overthrow these four horns, these four powers, demonic powers, that are troubling his people. The point is this. You are a skilled worker. Don't think you are a nobody. In the realm of the spirit, you are a warring craftsman. God is using you to overthrow those powers that are affecting and influencing his people. Amen? But much of God's church, God's people who are skilled workers, they think, you know, I have nothing to do in the realm of the spirit. It's all the pastor. He does everything. He prays in tongues. He does this. No, listen. You are a warring craftsman. You're a warring laborer for God. And whatever your skill is, whatever your craft is, whatever your trade is, God is using you to overthrow the horns, meaning powers, mites that are coming against his people. Amen? So in the realm of the spirit, you are really a soldier in the hands of God. What principles can we take into the mountain of business? As you and I begin to go into this mountain of business, we know there are demonic powers that we have to confront, but what principles can we take? Now, the Bible has principles for every facet of organization building and management. You talk about competitive advantage, the Bible gives us principles for that. You talk about you know, strategy, you talk about in product development, innovation, you talk about customer relationship management, you talk about human resource management, you talk about sales and marketing, you talk about corporate financing, whatever you can find principles in the Bible that you can apply to each of those areas of organization, building and management. You'll find it in the Word of God. We're not going to take time to go into all of that, but what I want to give you is three simple principles that you and I can take as we go into the mountain of, of business. Number one is integrity, a strong principle that you and I must live by on the mountain of business if we are going to make a difference. Integrity. Proverbs 10 verse 9 says, He who walks with integrity walks securely. You're safe when you walk in integrity. The second biblical principle you must take into the mountain of business is excellence. When you're excellent in what you're doing, you'll begin to affect the mountain. If we are mediocre, people have no respect for what we do and they'll have no respect for what we stand for. Excellence has to be a principle that we live by. Proverbs 22 verse 29 says, Do you see a man who is excellent in his work? He will stand before kings. He won't stand before ordinary people. Do you see a man who is excellent in his work? We must be excellent in whatever we do. There's a difference between being a perfectionist and excellence. A perfectionist has an undue desire to dot every I and cross every T, whether it's needed or not. A person who's excellent wants to give his best for the good of the people. So there's a difference. I'm not saying we have to be perfectionists, because sometimes you can be a perfectionist and still miss the whole point of what you're doing. But you've got to be excellent. Do a good job. Give the world the best you can give. Be excellent. If you see a man who's excellent in his work, he's going to come up before the president, the CEO. He won't remain with the you know, entry-level people. Amen? And number three, in the marketplace, when you go on the mountain of business, we must carry this principle of worship toward God. You'll often be tempted to worship ma- the God of mammon. But you say, my heart will worship only God. That principle is something we will not negotiate on. Amen? Jesus said, you must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. They will come to you. Don't worry about it. But you seek first God, his kingdom. Amen? Three simple principles. A whole lot the Bible says. But let's carry these three principles into the marketplace, into into the mountain of business. And as we go into the mountain of business, I also want to encourage us to carry spiritual gifts and anointings. 
that are relevant to the mountain. Carry gifts of anointing. God has an anointing for you as you go into the mountain of business. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the prophetic, and all these wonderful things we talk about. Take them into the mountain of business. Take them in there because you can have impact with those gifts. Amen? The gift of the word of wisdom. The gift of the word of knowledge. Use them on the mountain of business. That's an anointing. There are anointings for us to empower us on the mountain of business. Now these are not not just toys for us to play with inside church. They're tools for us to affect the world. Amen? So take the spiritual gifts God has given you. Take the anointing of His Holy Spirit out into the mountain of business. I want to close with two things here. What are strategy used to influence the mountain of business? There's two, just uh, some things here that I want to share. Now, God will use us at different levels. Some of us may be right at the top, senior management, presidents, and so on. Some of us may be at the mid-levels. We are mid, you know, just working as middle managers and so on. Some of us may be at the grassroots, doing something small, but yet important. God will use people at all levels. Amen? And it's all working towards the fulfilling of Isaiah 2.2, that the house of the Lord will be established on the mountains and the hills. Here are some strategies, and I want to, first of all, emphasize, begin by saying that we must understand the system. Understand the system. You know, sometimes we take the wrong position that because the system is wrong, stay away from it. Listen, if you are afraid of the system and you stay away from the system, you're diminishing your influence on the system. So, well, you know, things in this whole system of business is so bad. I mean, I don't want to get involved there. You know, after all, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah, the Bible does say that. So don't love it, but make a lot of it and use it for God. Don't love it. Amen? Don't be afraid of the system. Learn the system. One of the major drawbacks with us believers, Christians, is we don't understand the system. And when you don't understand the system, you don't know how to work the system for our advantage. The believers who have maximum impact are those who really understand the system and are not afraid to engage the system. In Luke, the 16th chapter, Jesus gave us the parable of the unjust steward. Many of us have struggled with this parable. You know, it's a story about this man who was a manager was put in charge of a certain area of his boss's business. And there was some amount of misappropriation going on. And uh, so his boss finds out about it. And he pulls up the manager and says, Hey, I heard you're doing all these wrong things. So this manager realizes, you know, I'm, my job is on the line. I'm going to lose my job. And he says, you know, I can't go work as a clerk. I can't go work as an office boy. But there's one thing I can do. I can work the system to my advantage. So what does he do? He calls his, ma- his boss's uh, debtors, the people who owe his boss money, and he says, you know, write, you owe a hundred, I'm just making this up, uh, you owe a hundred rupees, write it as fifty. You owe a thousand, make it five hundred. You owe ten thousand, make it five thousand. And he loses his job. But these people that he extended favor to, they receive him after he loses his job. Now Jesus gives us this parable, and he says, you know, I want you to learn something from this parable. He says in Luke 16, I think it's verse 9, he says, the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. Luke 16, verse 8. The children of this world are wiser than the children of light. So here's the message I want you to get. it. This man of the world, he knew how to work the system to his advantage. He abused the system, but he knew how to work it for his advantage. He says, here's the thing I want you to learn. The children of, of light 
must wise up to know how to work the system for their advantage. It's not that we must do what the unjust steward did, misappropriation and unfair things. But the point is this, work the system to your advantage. Are you with me so far? But we are so afraid. I don't want to touch the system. Listen, you've got to get in there. Work it to your advantage. Carrying with you godly principles of integrity, principles of worshipping of God and excellence. Get in there. Work it for the glory of God. Work the system to your advantage. And Jesus continues. He says, therefore, make of yourselves friends with the unrighteous mammon. Don't, don't say you can't touch the unrighteous mammon. Use it to make friends. Use it to build relationships. Use it to develop connections so that you can work the system. Luke 16, right? So, don't be afraid of the system of business. It may be hard, difficult for us to learn, but we must understand the system, work it for our advantage. Assume, now let, let's go a few more strategies and we close with some prayer points. I assume, we will assume that each of us are learning to live with biblical principles of excellence, integrity, and worship of God. How can we affect the mountain of business? Work through your relationships, horizontally and vertically. Work through your relationships. A very basic way to affect the mountain of business. Who are your people you relate to on a day-to-day basis? Work through the relationships. Horizontally, vertically, begin to affect change. Your relationships are your starting point in affecting the mountain of business. I like what Bishop T.D. Jakes says. Just read this quote for you. He says, The greatest witness on the job is to be personally pleasant and undeniably productive. Unfortunately, we grow up feeling obligated to share our faith rather than to allow people to observe it by our professional integrity. Christians should not use the workplace for vocal and blatant evangelism as happens so much in the name of God from politics to picketing. In brackets, he says, if God were so inclined, I believe he could sue most Christians for false representation. The real witness to Christ is love, peace, contentment, etc., These inaudible attributes coupled with excellent work ethics and fulfilled promises to staff members, employees, or consumers speak volumes. That's powerful. Amen. Begin to affect people through your relationships, horizontally, vertically, by the way you live, by the way you conduct yourself. And then, of course, we are not saying never share Jesus because you will always have opportunities that you can seize opportune moments to share and demonstrate Christ. This morning we had a testimony of a young man in the North Church. He shared how he was able to affect some of his colleagues just by demonstrating what Christ could do through his life. We also influence by introducing biblical values and principles. In whatever position you are in, you may be a team member, you may be a team leader, you may be a manager, you may be a senior manager, a vice president, a president, whatever. Introduce biblical principles. You don't have to quote chapter and verse and use the King James Version. Just say it in plain English. Amen? When you talk about, hey, let's do good, do to others what you would have them do to you. You don't have to say, Luke chapter 6, Jesus said. No. Just bring in that principle in a very simple way, in simple English. But you're bringing in a biblical principle into your workplace. And you're beginning to slowly transform the culture in business. Amen. Introduce those concepts, introduce those principles, God-given principles into your workplace. Allow yourself to be strategically positioned in your organization so that you can further the kingdom of God. Believe God for promotions so that you can have great influence on people. Believe God to be positioned in, in the right places in the world so that you can affect regions of the world that need a witness for Jesus Christ. 
We can come up with creative, innovative products and services and use that as a platform to share Jesus. Creativity comes from God. You and I can believe God for innovative, creative products and services that can make a difference in our world. We can also adopt strategies to affect nations. Things like micro-enterprise development or starting small or medium enterprises. They can provide jobs and opportunities and salaries and contribute to the kingdom of God. We can also establish double bottom lines like profitability and social contribution as measures and standards in our workplace. So there are so many different ways by which you and I can begin to affect the mountain of business. Amen? But we must also engage in spiritual transformation which brings prayer in. And I close with this. We must begin to pray for the mountain of business. You'll be engaged in prayer for your workplace, for where you work. Here are some things you can pray for. Pray for us believers, us people, that we recognize that there's a calling to the workplace. We are ministers of God. We are warring craftsmen in the workplace. Pray for God's wisdom, skill, creativity, favor to be released so that you can get new inventions, ideas, strategies, opportunities, and excellence so that we can bless organizations, people, and society. Pray for divine wealth transfer so that it will be placed in the hands of God-honoring people so that it can be used correctly. Pray that the control of the God of mammon, greed, and corruption, and selfish interests, other demonic things will be broken in your workplace and replaced by the worship and honor of God and integrity and blessing of people. And lastly, pray for the release of the supernatural that demonstrates God's goodness so that people's hearts can be turned towards God. Things that you can pray for in the mountain of business. Amen. I want to tell you, we're on the top of the mountain, so let's stand. Thank you for just patiently listening. I know it's tough. It's not easy. I just want to call the worship team up as we take a few moments here this morning to respond to the message. We're talking about some difficult things, I understand. But I think the body of Christ is being awakened all over the world to understand that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established on the mountains and the hills so that nations can begin to flow to it and say, tell us about your God. You and I are fulfilling prophecy. You and I are that house of God, the assembly of God, the church of the living God, the Mount Zion that God is using to disciple nations. You are a warring craftsman. In the marketplace, you are having spiritual influence. Whatever your trade is, your skill is. You don't know how God is using you to confront those horns that are affecting His people. But in the spirit realm, God is using you as a warring craftsman. So as we get ready to close this morning, retake some time to pray and say, God, I want to embrace my assignment on my mountain. Many of us standing here are on the mountain of business, can relate to the mountain of business. Some of us may be engaged in other mountains as education or government or media or arts and entertainment and so on. But in some way, this mountain affects all of the mountains. We have to confront the Babylonian system that spreads itself on all the seven mountains. But I want you to carry those principles, biblical principles of integrity, excellence, and worship of God. Carry the anointing of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Carry the principles of God into your mountain and begin to affect change in the culture. One heart at a time, one life at a time, that's okay. God may give you greater influence. God may give you the ability to influence many, hundreds, maybe thousands. But if you're influencing even one, it's worth it. Father God, we thank you for your word. That your word is being fulfilled in our lives and through our lives. You said in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be set over the mountains of the hill. And nations will begin to flow to it and say, teach us about your God. We embrace 
our role in seeing this fulfilled, O God. Father, I pray that this morning that our hearts will be awakened. There will be a spark lit in our hearts saying, let me make a difference at the mountain of this. Let me engage this system and permeate it with what comes from heaven. Release, Lord, supernatural empowering, the empowering of your Holy Spirit, the gifts of your Holy Spirit, the courage, the strength, the endurance to be there and make a difference. Use each one of us, Lord God. Use each one of us on the mountain of business. In whichever mountain you place us on, use each one of us. I want to thank you, God. Let's close. Father, we thank you for this morning. I just speak your blessing on your people. Declaring, God, that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Have a great day. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.